BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. So I'm a father of what? I gotta find a babysitter. I found Care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, it's been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He had enlisted in the military after graduating high school. He left behind a pregnant fiance who gave birth to a son he would never meet. Thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps gold star and fallen first responder families as well as our nation's most catastrophically injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at t2t.org. That's t the number 2t.org. Never forget 9/11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us. The Soviet Union. Oh, don't worry, I'll get to all the administrative state stuff here in a moment. But I think it's important we take a little look back to the communist Soviet Union. Stalin. Actually, all of them, from Gorbachev all the way back to Stalin. Do you know what the actual title was of the big cheese in charge of communist Soviet Union? What his title was? You ever looked into it? General Secretary, maybe you've even heard that, General Secretary Gorbachev, General Secretary Khrushchev, General Secretary Stalin. Why General Secretary? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Secretary, what? Well, if you've never wondered, allow me to explain. When Vladimir Lenin and his communists took over the Soviet Union, 
He was aware that Joseph Stalin was not a man to be trusted. Trotsky, in particular, hated Stalin. Stalin hated Trotsky. But Stalin had he'd earned his stripes. He'd put in a lot of work for the communist revolution, and you have to give the guy something. The guy was a full-blown terrorist, murderer, bank robber. He'd done a lot, a lot of blood on his hands to help the communists finally take over. So when Lenin finally takes over and he's the big cheese, he has to find a place for Stalin. Now, there's always a ministry, right, in all these communists. Ministry of this and ministry of that and ministry of this. And, of course, everybody, all the guys who helped Lenin, all his right-hand men, they all wanted the big jobs. Stalin wanted a big job, too. But they didn't want Stalin to have a big job. They wanted to kind of sideline Joseph Stalin. Just, eh, it's, it's, look, let's, let's give him a big job, but one that's not that important. So what did they make him? They made him general secretary. Now, it kind of means exactly what it sounds like. At least that's what it meant in the beginning. You see, while everyone else, this guy was in charge of the military, and this guy was in charge of the secret police, and this guy's in charge of the economy, Stalin... <laughs> This guy, he's just the administrator. What, what does Stalin do? Oh, he just, he just decides, you know, what meetings we're going to have and, and who gets invited to the meeting and what the agenda items on the meeting are, who doesn't get invited to the meeting. And Joseph Stalin, as big of a scumbag as he is, possibly the most evil human being who ever lived, he was still a very cunning individual. Joseph Stalin didn't take the title of general secretary and say, oh man, these guys shafted me with a bad job. Joseph Stalin looked at it and thought, these idiots, they gave me the keys to the kingdom. You see, as being the head administrator, as being the de facto head of the Soviet Union's administrative state, Joseph Stalin understood that he actually had more power than all of them. And he eventually used that title and that power as general secretary to rise into being the most powerful person on the face of the planet. And they all kept up that title ever since. That's why, like I said, all the way up to Gorbachev, they were all general secretary. You see, the administrative state is not a small thing. It's not a side thing. It's not something we can deal with once we deal with taxes and spending and the border. The administrative state is everything. It's where the real power lies. Donald Trump was just president of the United States of America. President of the United States of America. Leader of the free world. And he had his four-year administration kneecapped at every turn. By who, though? I mean, we like to point to Democrats, don't we? It's Democrats. It's Nancy Pelosi. It's Chuck Schumer. It was, it was this guy or that guy. But the truth is, it wasn't Democrats, elected Democrats, who kneecapped Donald Trump's presidency. It wasn't elected Democrats who brought on the Mueller investigation. It wasn't really elected Democrats who enabled the impeachment of Donald Trump not once but twice. It was the administrative state. The administrative state is so powerful, it took the first two years of Donald Trump's presidency and they put handcuffs on him. The administrative state is so powerful that some no-name loser at the State Department can prompt a completely ridiculous impeachment of Donald Trump. The administrative state, the same one that had the FBI lining up with a SWAT team to take down very peaceful Roger Stone. Oh, and did I mention someone at the FBI managed to go ahead and 
get a hold of CNN first so it could all be televised. Jeffrey Clark, Peter Navarro, who we'll have on later on in the show, surrounded and taken down by the FBI. Why? Because of their association with Donald Trump and January 6th. We'll have Julie Kelly and Nick Searcy on. Gretchen Whitmer, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Governor of Michigan. My word, did you hear about the kidnapping and assassination attempt? All the FBI, funded, planned, coordinated by the administrative state. The administrative state out there who's been interviewed several times and asked, hey, what about Black Lives Matter? What about Antifa? What about the, the billions in damage, the lives lost? And the FBI always responds with the greatest threat to America is currently white supremacy. This goes way beyond the FBI and DOJ, though. Do you remember when Tucker Carlson said, um, the NSA is spying on my texts and emails and then not long after that, someone at the NSA leaked the contents of Tucker Carlson's texts and emails to the news media who published it. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something point blank. How much money do you have? I, I, don't email me. Don't call me. I don't need to know. Just, just a rhetorical question. How much money do you have in the bank? You understand that the administrative state has the power to destroy you simply by bringing charges against you. And you might be sitting there saying, well, Jesse, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done any, anything illegal. What does that matter? Even if you're found not guilty, if the FBI, DOJ, if they choose to bring down the power of the administrative state on your head, you're looking at half a million to a million dollars in legal fees. Got a million bucks in the bank you can blow? No, of course you don't. You'll sell your house, probably lose your job, Maybe lose your wife, husband, definitely lose your reputation. The administrative state has the power to destroy you. Let's talk about the 3.4 million Americans who've had their data obtained by the FBI without a warrant. Let's talk about the fact the FBI falsified information to take it to the FISA court so they could spy on the then political opponent president of President Barack Obama so they could spy on Donald Trump. Let's talk about the Department of Justice getting a letter from the teachers' unions that the teachers' unions were mad about all these concerned moms showing up at school board meetings, and soon the DOJ is directing the FBI to conduct counter-terrorism operations against parents showing up at school board meetings. We have street communists in front of the homes at the DOJ, or, or in front of the Supreme Court Justice Homes DOJ does nothing. If the NSA is out there collecting your data and they decide you're an enemy and so they release your data to the American media, that's dangerous. If the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the federal law enforcement arm decides you're an enemy, you're a domestic terrorist because you're upset about your school board, that's dangerous. These people, NSA, CIA, FBI, DOJ, EPA, IRS, if the massive monolithic administrative state in the United States of America has become a wholly owned subsidiary of the Democratic Party, and frankly, if they've become the enforcement arm of the Democratic Party, and it sure looks like they have, then what we have on our hands here is the most dangerous situation in the history of the United States of America because they're working on making you a national security threat for your political beliefs. And the reason they're working on that is so they can turn the administrative state loose on you.
you talk about, let's hope we win back Congress, and I want to win back Congress. You talk about, hey, let's get, let's get a Republican president in 2024. Go Trump, go DeSantis, whoever your person is. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Trump, DeSantis, good. Congress, all that's great. Do you know what all that gets us if the administrative state still has both barrels aimed at you? It gets us nowhere. You see the next Republican president and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that, they're all simply going to be handcuffed and kneecapped by this administrative state if it is not brought to heel. How seriously is the Republican Party taking this problem? Well, they just had a bipartisan vote where, they, where both parties voted to increase the funding to the DOJ and FBI. What we have on our hands here is a secret police spying on you, hating you, and looking for any reason to put you away simply because you are viewed as a political enemy of the Democrats. It is the biggest deal, the most dangerous thing happening in the United States today. And we have a great special for you. We're going to talk about that. Now, you want an inside look at the administrative state? How about a former CIA ops guy, Brian Dean Wright, our friend, he's going to join us next. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Well, if we're doing a special on the administrative state, maybe we should bring in someone who knows a thing or two about it. Of course, my friend Brian Dean Wright, former CIA ops officer, also host of the podcast everyone listens to now, The President's Daily Brief, every single day. Under 20 minutes, your drive to work, get caught up on all the news, figure out what's happening, what you should think about it, and sound smarter than everyone else at the office. Brian, the administrative state. First, let's get to this. How much do they know about us? I mean, there's all kinds of internet fodder out there about they're spying on this and spying on that and collecting this and collecting that. Are they reading my text messages, Brian? Are they reading my emails? What do they know? Especially yours, Jesse, let's be honest. You're yes. a strange, dirty yes. man. Uh, no, look, yes. so let's take a step back and ask the question, what is the administrative state? And then who in America fits that description? So the classic description of the administrative state is an unelected bureaucrat who has profound power, who decides to use that power for their own aims, irrespective of laws and regulations, right? So the most infamous example is a guy that I know of, Aldrich Ames, who decided to spy for the Soviets. And when he asked or was asked by the FBI why he decided to do it as a CIA officer, he said, because I know what's best for the nation's national security, and I am going to act on that. So that's an extreme example, but the idea here is that we have bureaucrats who think that they know better than everybody else to include Congress, and they're gonna do whatever the hell they want. So that, in in a nutshell, is the administrative state, people who abuse their power. But there's another piece here that I I wanna talk about. Yeah. No, go ahead, please, please, keep going, please. The the other one that, that we definitely need to talk about today after we tackle that first piece is corporate America, big tech, using our cell phones and things to pick up our data. 
that actually is just as powerful, if not more so, because the federal government or the administrative state on that side is actually working in concert with these big tech companies pulling down that big data when they can't get it through normal judicial processes to sort of go around the Fourth Amendment. So those are the two big pieces that I think we should talk about today. Hold on. We're going to talk about the second one first because now I'm extremely intrigued. The government is working with big corporations to get around, I'm assuming you mean like warrant requirements to gain information on me. What are you talking about? They sure are. So what the U.S. government is supposed to do is that when they want your cell phone data or they want aggregate data of a bunch of people in a neighborhood or a town or something, they instead of going to courts, what they will do is it will go to private sector companies that bait, that suck up all the data from things like your cell phone or things like your computer. And that data, while they say it's anonymized, in other words, they don't know that it's Jesse's phone and it's Jesse's data, they can actually very quickly, the government can, figure out precisely who that data belongs to. So this anonymous stuff is just silly. So rather than go to the courts, they can go to these data aggregator companies that exist all throughout the world. Uh, When you download an app, oftentimes the people who create that app will suck up a bunch of data, not just based on what you're doing with that app, but where your phone is at and what else you were doing when you browse for things, what are you browsing for? So all those apps are sucking down data of who you are. And then of course, your internet service providers, your your cell phone providers, uh, the cell phone itself, all of those companies that are involved in that process are sucking up data, you know, all the text messages and the emails and where you're going uh, physically in your car every day. And that becomes really powerful because you and I, my friend, and everybody watching and listening, we are creatures of habit. We love routines. And so if a government can establish, uh, or anyone, a company can establish, what we do at any given hour or day, they can figure out not only what we've done in the past, but they can actually predict with pretty shocking accuracy where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing in the future. And so that's the power that I'm the most concerned about. Certainly, the federal government, we can get a hold of that uh, through elections, potentially, or firing people or the judicial process. But it's these companies with profound power. That, to me, is the big one. That's the scary one. Brian, before we get to how this can possibly be legal, these companies working with the government, you mentioned them doing it maybe for a town. What would be the motivation to find a town or find an area and collect data for a whole bunch of people in an area? Why? Well, what let's say the Treasury would say. So we know that the Treasury and the IRS are really big into this kind of information. We know that in the last couple of years, they've actually sucked down a whole bunch of that information. So it's not just an individual, it's also groups of people or even towns, because some of them might be engaged in, let's say, illegal behavior with cartel activity, you know, here in Southern Arizona, looking at some of that data to figure out who the networks are, right? So we would think, okay, that seems reasonable. And they use something called a national security letter normally in in the normal judicial process, but they can get it much faster and oftentimes much you know, bigger or greater amounts of data by going to these data, data aggregating companies. So that's an example when they're trying to figure out, say, a network of the cartels or drug-related things. That's when they might lean on these companies. But the issue is once you get that information, now you can use it for all kinds of other purposes, not just chasing after the bad guys. Okay, now let's rewind back to how this can possibly be legal. I don't care who you are, cell phone company or whatever, 
I mean, is this something we're signing on for? They're legally allowed to just take my information and say, yes, DOJ, here's what Jesse's doing. That doesn't, how can that be legal? Yeah, well, so the first piece is all these companies from the apps to the, the you know, cell phone providers, they all have those tricky terms of services, right? So nobody reads them. It'll take you probably an hour and a half to read through the first paragraph, right? You have to be a lawyer to understand it. But we actually sign up for a lot of that surveillance, as it were, you know, capturing that data from our cell phones and our computers. So that's the first piece of how it's you know, lawful to collect it. Now the tricky question becomes, well, how is it that the federal government can, can grab that information without a warrant going through the normal judicial process? As of right now, most of that is actually legal. They are allowed to do it. They're, it's publicly available information that the government can go out and just buy. So the, the Treasury Department actually bought, I think it was about $150,000 contract with one particular company that they had a little app that basically was taking all the location data anonymously, and then they were giving it uh, to the Treasury. Totally legal, absolutely no problem with it. But of course, it, it's, it's getting around the Fourth Amendment, really, I think most of us would argue, in terms of improper searches and seizures. There's some people on Capitol Hill within the Senate and the House that are saying, yeah, this is a problem. We need to rein in the government, but we haven't had a lot of great traction on that. But it's it's an issue that people are aware of on the Hill. They just haven't taken any direct action by passing laws to rein it in. Which leads me directly into my next question of how can we stop this? Why hasn't this been stopped? It seems so ominous. I mean, even let's say we had the House and Senate with a bunch of freedom fighters and the president, they wanted yeah. to do something about this, but you still have this gigantic monolith out there with all this power and all this data. It seems, it seems I hate to use the words that sound so pessimistic, it seems impossible to overcome it. Yeah, well, here's the easiest and fastest thing. You pick this phone up or your and you just don't carry it around with you. Right? That's one of the easiest ways to defeat it. They can't collect on you if you're not using those devices or if you're using them sparingly, right? So maybe you want to use it for a cross-country trip or your grandma you know, needs to have it in the, in the car in case she breaks down. That makes sense, right? But if you're constantly carrying that phone, you're going to the grocery store, in the gym, you're going to work, you're, you're using it, you really should do your own internal audit to say, how much do I really need this surveillance device on my person at all times? Because that's how we need to start be, uh, you know, thinking of these devices. They are surveillance devices. And now it might be easy to think or say, oh, you know, heck, I don't do anything illegal. Why do I need to worry about it? Well, you and I have talked about before that unfortunately our government to include the FBI takes innocent people and then entraps them or encourages them to engage in illegal behavior and then charges them with things that frankly are ridiculous. So you have to be very careful about these kinds of devices on your person. I encourage people, leave those phones wherever and whenever you can. Use them for you know, emergency purposes, of course, but really neck down or limit the amount that you're using those devices. Set them down. That's the best way that you and I can take control over this issue today. Set your phone down more. A great lesson. You know what? We're ending on that. Brian, thank you, my brother. The President's Daily Brief. Go subscribe to it. Appreciate you. You betcha. Put your phone down. Hey, no judgment here. I'm as guilty as you. When is my phone with me? All the time. It's always here in my pocket. It's right here on my desk while I do the show. When I'm done in the studio, when I go home tonight, it'll be sitting right there beside me. When I walk in the house, it'll be on the counter. When I wake up in the morning, it'll be laying on my bedside. I do the same thing. We need to get rid of it more, don't we? Good lesson there.
All right, we're not done. We have Julie Kelly, Nick Searcy coming up next. January 6th, boy, you want to talk about the administrative state at work. Wait do you hear this. Next. On January 6, 2021, I went to Washington, D.C., along with multitudes of other Americans because we believed that the election was stolen. And what they show you on the media doesn't tell half the story. I step out, I have red dots all over my chest. I'm really scared. Um, they handcuffed me. They handcuffed you? Yes. The six was all deception. This is psychological warfare. One voice has millions. Highly recommend you watch that movie, of course. And here's the producer of it. My friend, actor, producer, you know who he is, Nick Searcy. Beard is looking a little gray. Nick, we can get to that in a moment. And also joining me is my friend Julie Kelly. She wrote the book January 6th. She quite literally wrote the book on how they're weaponizing the government against you, if you'd like to know. First, Nick, let's get to you. They handcuffed a little girl? Yeah, they dragged her out of her house at 6 in the morning and handcuffed. <laughs> Obviously, she was such a threat. And, uh, you know, this is done deliberately as an intimidation technique. They are basically not only intimidating the people that they are harassing, but they're demonizing them in front of their neighbors and making their communities turn against them so that they can't get work, they can't get on with their lives. Most of these people are not, uh, you know, well off enough to be able to mount uh, vigorous legal defense. And they're basically just destroying these people's lives to send the message, don't ever, ever do anything like this ever again. Julie, can you talk about this legal defense part of it? Because you've been on several times talking about January 6th and how these people are being treated. Well, I've had to hire lawyers before, and those people are expensive. And it's certainly expensive when you're taking on the government. And as Nick just pointed out, these people, they can't afford this. They can't afford it. <clears throat> Because, of course, a criminal defense attorney in Washington, D.C., where all of these cases are being handled, is at least six figures. Almost all of these people, most of them, have had no interaction with the criminal justice system ever before and certainly had no idea that the full weight of the government, the Justice Department, the FBI, the D.C. District Court, and, of course, the news media uh, would be thrown at them, which is what has happened. And what Nick said is absolutely true. Their lives completely destroyed. So a lot of them rely on public defenders who, as you can imagine, Jesse and Nick knows this too, public defenders who have shown open contempt for their clients, for their involvement in January 6th, some of them putting them through this re-education camp to show them how racist America is, forcing them to write apology letters to the court, and in some cases, telling judges that they now accept Joe Biden as the legitimately elected president of the United States. This is the kind of representation that a lot of these defendants have. They have no shot in this rigged, highly partisan uh, judicial and legal system in our nation's capital. One of the things that stuck out in that trailer we played at the very beginning of this, of Nick's movie, was this whole thing was a deception. Here's a little video, hopefully you've seen it before. If you've watched my show, you've certainly seen it before, of a man named Ray Epps. We need to go into the Capitol! Into the Capitol! <laughs> 
This whole thing was a deception, the man said. What's he talking about? Well, Ray Epps is a perfect example of someone that has not been called to testify. He's on tape there exhorting people to go into the Capitol. And even the people standing around him could sense that this was a phony, that this was a Fed. It's amazing that the uh, so-called January 6th hearings, which are supposed to be finding out the truth, they haven't bothered to call Ray Epps in. There's also footage of Ray Epps and, and some of his cohorts who started their uh, their uh, fracas at the Capitol before the president even finished speaking. They were already over there, and they removed a lot of the fences and the signs that said, do not enter restricted area. Entering a restricted area, didn't know it was a restricted area because the signs had been taken down because Ray Epps and his people had removed them. It's, 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 it's just a complete... Uh, fabrication what's happening they removed the signs Julie did the FBI lose Ray Epps's number do they not have Google at the FBI mm -hmm. computers what's right. going on over there well this continues to remain a mystery Ray Epps in in the one clip that you showed and I have a little bit of news here the man who he whispers into his ear that may he is Ryan Samsel he was initially one of the first people to breach that kind of phony uh, police line that was right there. Ray Epps whispers in Ryan Samsel's ear. Ryan Samsel has been arrested and under pretrial detention orders in jail for the past 18 months. What came out this week is it looks like Ryan Samsel might recant his initial FBI interview where he says that Ray Epps tried to calm him down and tell him not to do anything. And it looks like Ryan Samsel might backpedal on that uh, initial um, interview that he gave the FBI. So it'll be interesting to see. But look, we've been promised that we were going to see the transcript from Ray Epps uh, testimony before the January 6th committee. We have not. He was removed from the FBI's most wanted list when people like Darren Beatty started raising questions about him. We still don't know why he is not charged. Jesse, they are arresting people every single week. Now, 18 months after this four-hour event, this FBI is still hunting people down and charging them with really misdemeanor trespassing charges for doing far less than what you saw Ray Epps doing for two straight days, January 5th and 6th. Still a mystery, can't get any answers out of the FBI or any other agency, including the select committee that's supposed to be a truth-finding uh, mission. Gee, I wonder why. Again, go by Julie Kelly's book, January 6th. Nick, the movie, Capital Punishment, you're the one who made it. You interviewed all these people. Pipe bombs. I, boy, I, I know I'm stupid, but it seems like only yesterday I was hearing about these pipe bombs that were placed at the RNC and DNC, and I've been on Capitol Hill. I don't think I've ever been, including Las Vegas, I don't think I've ever been to a more surveyed area, surveilled area in the United States of America, certainly. There are cameras everywhere. Who is this mystery assassin placing these pipe bombs, Nick? 
Yeah, I mean, if they can find people who are standing outside the Capitol with their facial recognition software and track them down and break down their doors at 6 a.m., you would think they could track down a pipe bomber. It, it makes me think that there wasn't really anything to it and that they, they were just hyping up this threat because what they want to get across is this narrative that everybody like me who went to Washington on January 6th and sang hymns and sang the Star Spangled Banner and and took our poly grip and our our blood pressure medicine. I mean, you know, we were too old to, to like dive into the Capitol like that. They want to paint this picture that we're all a bunch of violent killers. And the fact that they haven't turned up any evidence or made any arrests about this pipe bomb nonsense, it makes me think that it's all fabricated. Mm -hmm. Julie, I'll give you the final word. Uh, well, what Nick said is right. The clip that you just showed of Ryan Samsel and Ray Epps, that was the same time that the alleged pipe bombs were found. This prompted the initial evacuation of surrounding house buildings. Uh, we later find out that Kamala Harris was at the Democratic National Committee. Why did her security detail not find the alleged pipe bombs sitting outside that building before she arrived? A lot of unanswered questions. But again, this story has completely disappeared. You don't see the January 6th committee or Adam Schiff or Liz Cheney promising to get to the bottom of that. 18 months later, a big reward, lots of drama, but still, once again, no answers, just like Ray Epps. The movie's Capital Punishment. The book is January 6th. Go get him if you want to find out just how evil and corrupt your government really is. Nick, Julie, thank you both. Thank Thanks, you so Jesse. much, Jesse. What's it feel like to be under the thumb of the administrative state? I mean, it's one thing to talk about it, what it is, what they could do to you, how they would do it to you. That's one thing. But what's it feel like to actually have them come down on you? Have you wondered? You don't have to wonder anymore. Peter Navarro is going to join us next. He's a man who's been arrested, surrounded in an airport for doing nothing. You want to hear what the administrative state can do to you? Listen to what Peter has to say. Next. The administrative state, the administrative state, we've talked about it the whole show. What's it feel like to be attacked by the administrative state? Let's talk to Peter Navarro about it. Perhaps you've heard of him. He is, of course, the author of a great book I'd highly recommend, Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back. Go buy that book. And he's, of course, former assistant to the president, director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. So the man knows what he's talking about. But Peter, before we get into anything else, I want to know what it feels like to be attacked by the administrative state. What happened with you and the FBI? <clears throat> well, let's see. When I was in, in college, um, they taking a philosophy course, Jesse. I, had, I read Kafka, right? Um, and it would take me more than 50 years to understand Kafka. And it was the day, June 3rd, um, that I understood it when I was on my way to Nashville to do a filming on the Mike Huckabee show. And uh, lo and behold, as I got into the jetway, three armed agents from the FBI close in behind me and two at the door and the next thing I know I'm in handcuffs and 20 minutes later I'm in leg irons strip searched and I wind up in um, the cell that uh, same cell as John Hinckley was in when he shot the, Ronald Reagan um, so that's what it feels like and at, at some level it was it was a surreal uh, experience it's 
basically, as I was in solitary confinement, uh, stripped of my phone, unable to call an attorney in clear violation of uh, my Fourth Amendment rights, um, the government immediately leaked the arrest to the press. So it was all over the news. And the clear intent was to publicly humiliate and punish me in the eyes of the public and effectively uh, make, a, make an example of me even before um, I was uh, arraigned before a judge. So that's what it feels like. And what the issue's about, Jesse, um, it's not about me. Um, it's not even about Donald Trump, although uh, what they're trying to do is put both me and, and Trump in jail uh, to silence us and to prevent us from our political activities. What, what the issue is really about is uh, this principle known as executive privilege um, and the collateral uh, <clears throat> principle of what's called testimonial immunity. The whole idea, Jesse, dating back to George Washington, um, is that uh, top advisors like me in the White House should be able to have candid conversations with the president and other advisors so as to promote the most effective decision-making possible. I mean, it's a, it's a very high-minded reason for executive privilege. It's a good thing. And, and nobody really disagrees with the fact that executive privilege is a good thing. But what the government's trying to do is destroy that as we know it um, it, the ends justify the means of trying to get to Trump. And in this case, this was about, uh, this is about this, this so-called select committee, the January 6th committee that you've seen endlessly on primetime. Um, it is a committee that's not properly constituted, doesn't have the right amount of members, been balanced in terms of the partisanship. Uh, it's not duly authorized. They don't have a ranking member. Really, in a nutshell, has no legal authority issue uh, valid subpoenas. Um, and so I'm caught in the middle of a situation in which President Trump has clearly invoked executive privilege in this matter. And as a senior advisor, um, it's not my privilege to weigh. That's a really key legal point, Jesse. And so... Uh, I, I have the choice of either dishonoring the privilege and going and, and submitting to this kangaroo court's will or doing what I have chosen to do, which is to uh, honor the Constitution, uh, do my duty to my commander in chief and to this country. And uh, I, want, <laughs> I wound up in leg irons. And thanks for showing the book, Taking Back Trump's America, because astonishingly when I wrote it I never imagined it would be my legal defense fund but I'm facing about a million dollars um, in legal costs because I'm facing up to two years in prison uh, for a charge that nobody <laughs> nobody has ever been treated like this or put in prison for it, in the whole history of our republic and so it's a it's a um, it's a I think it's the the, the extreme example of what the Democrats have been trying to do for five years, which is to, is to put the Trump people behind bars and, uh, and out of power. Peter, not to be a Debbie Downer, and I'm sure this is stuff you've all considered, but I've got to tell you, it's on my mind, my friend. I, I see how they have treated other January 6th people 
and from judges, Trump judges, Reagan judges, Obama judges, it doesn't matter, juries, they have tossed the book at them because this is an area that's all Democrat, it's all blue. How in the world are you supposed to get any kind of a fair trial in an area like this? Well, look, um, the, 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 the issue of the protesters, rioters, whatever you want to call them, on Capitol Hill that January 6th day, um, it, it's, a, it's an important issue. And I, I think it's clear that many of those folks uh, have not been charged with any crime yet, have been held without bail uh, in conditions worse than, say, Guantanamo Bay for terrorists. You know, there is that. But with my case, this is not that. Okay, this is something yeah. very different conceptually and legally. Um, I was a, a high-ranking member of the White House. Nobody's accused me of having anything to do with the January 6th thing. I wasn't there. All I've done in this case is point out to the people who are trying to put me in prison that President Trump has invoked executive privilege in the matter. It's not my privilege to waive. And legally, what these people should do is, as the first and least burdensome alternative, is go to President Trump and his attorneys, try to waive the privilege. I said, hey, if they waive it, I'll go, I'll talk to you. Um, they did not do that. They have not done that. Uh, that's illegal on their part. The second thing they could have done, again, the least burdensome alternative required by the Supreme Court and the law, um, is to file a civil suit. Uh, they did not do that. Instead, they came at me not only with criminal charges, Jesse, and here's the thing that the people watching this show should be really disturbed about. It's like it's like they didn't just charge me. It's like they they <laughs> they let me get all the way to the airport and took me down publicly with five FBI agents and leaked it to the press. Okay, why is that interesting? See this building here. Right. This this is the Department of Justice, right? I actually took this picture from my apartment. And what you're missing is right over here is the FBI. So I live like literally 50 yards from the FBI and 100 yards from the Department of Justice. And I told these people two days before the arrest, they said, hey, you need anything? Just call me. And the, the general procedure in cases of what's called white collar crime, uh, there's no fraud involved in mine. It's like, it's like, it's, it, there's no chance of, of flight risk or anything. They just, it's willful surrender. They give you a call, they say, hey, we got a rest warrant for you, come on down, we'll book you, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll set bail and you'll be on your way, right? They, none of that, Jesse, none of that. They went for the friggin' juggler and if they can come for me, they can come for you. They can come for anybody. You yeah. say the wrong thing, Jesse, they'll be knocking on your friggin' door. And so far, I've lost my First Amendment rights, my Second Amendment rights, and my Fourth Amendment rights, okay? So there's a few more amendments to go, and we'll see if they check the rest of them off. But I, I'm not guilty of anything yet. You know, I've been charged, but I've still lost three of my, uh, three of my uh, amendments here. Yep. Peter Navarro, the book is Taking Back Trump's America. Go get it. Help the man out. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. Always good to talk, brother. You take care. All right. We got final thoughts on that and other things. Next.
the most dangerous thing happening in America today. You just heard Peter Navarro. I mean, look, set, set everything else aside, the ridiculous arrest, everything else. Did you hear what he said about legal costs? A million dollars. He's going up against the U.S. government, a million dollars. That's what his legal costs are going to be. So let's say, let's say he's, and he ends up getting found not guilty. It's all garbage. He was correct about the whole thing. He didn't do anything. In the end, he'll be a million dollars poorer just because he was a target of the administrative state. Either we get this thing under control or we don't have a free country anymore at all. They can come for you like that. You got a million dollars to spend? It's a big deal. Don't support any Republican who doesn't reinforce it's a big deal. We have got to stop this and stop this now before it goes any further. All right, we'll do it again. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, he was called Mal Evans, he was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.